Hello and welcome to Makers Dive, episode number fifty-one. Fifty-one, Chris, is lots of fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, fifty-one. Here we are. Here we are. How's it going? What did you, what did you get up to this last week? Yeah, uh, it's going pretty well. Um, we are coming up on Thanksgiving. Um, this will be out in a few weeks, but uh, my uh, personally, my daughter was uh, quarantined from school because of contact with someone with COVID. Oof. Um, it looks like maybe she doesn't have it yet, but then she got some sniffles and we're like, here we go. But then they went away. And so I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we have to do a PCR test before she can go back to school. Um, so, so far that's going fine, but, uh, you know, kind of annoying. Uh, what else? I'm doing more on my lab. So my deep learning final project that they released that. And so I'm doing that I can talk about. And then I started a new Kaggle competition, which sort of accidentally, like I just looked at it and just tried it out for a little bit and now i'm sucked sucked into it and i didn't really ex it's a different type of contest um than the other ones and i didn't really expect to learn very much um but i've so far i've done a couple new things and learned some stuff so i can talk about that too i love to dig into both the kaggle competition and your final uh i don't feel like the uh annoyance of <laughs> sniffles around thanksgiving uh that, that that's that's uh talks for itself we don't need to don't need to dig into that uh i don't think but uh yeah talk to me about uh the the one of those that you're most excited about either kaggle or the uh final sure um i'm kind of excited about both they're both interesting so let's see the deep learning lab um all all semester we've been using this program called super tux cart which is like a mario kart uh an open source mario kart and now we actually get to control the whole thing. So the final project is to play ice hockey, like 2v2 ice hockey with two carts against... Oh, cool. Yeah, against the TA's carts. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So you have to write an AI to do that. And it's very open-ended. That's basically the, the prompt. Um, and you can choose to do it with images, so like straight images from the feed, um, or do it with the... Like, it'll output the state of the world at every time step. Um, so you can take an, either of those two. And yeah, you get build an AI to do it. So uh, that's the project. Um, it's a lot of work because you have to collect all your own data. You have to decide what to do. You have to try all these different things um, and you'll get graded on how well you do. So uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing for the last few days. How fun. Oh man, <laughs> school has gotten so much better since I was in school. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of my final semester project for AP computer science in high school was to design uh, a battle bot is what they called them it was like a little bug that went in this uh two-dimensional grid called grid world because that's that's what they used to use for the ap computer science test to see that you knew how java classes worked and you had this limited set of things you could do like you could move within the grid and you got all the positions of your enemies and other things on the board and you could fire projectiles at them and I, I it, you know, none of us knew uh, AI techniques or anything. So it's <laughs> just these really long <laughs> procedural, like, all right, if if this person is here and they're headed in this direction, then fire a bullet based on this thing. And like the most advanced people in the class would try to try to map out the trajectory of where the person was going and then fire where they were going to be based on how far away they were. Um, but man, if, if you were able to do anything with AI, I feel like you would have just smoked everyone in that class. Uh, so maybe... <laughs> Maybe that's a fun AI project for me. I could go back to, to Miss Wozner's AP computer science class and be like, hey, <laughs> plug this into your uh, contest and, and let's see how they do. I'm so curious what you're thinking 
of for your strategy of how you're going to approach this. It's it's sort of like you're doing your own miniature like deep mind competition where the the first thing that comes to mind is okay maybe you do uh, a adversarial network of two competing against each other trying to control it and then you iterate those a whole bunch and uh, maybe just give it like this abstract concept of what scoring is and the the side that scores better gets to carry on and make children uh is that feasible do you do you have a, a better tactic yeah so there's several ways to do it um one is if you do go the image route you can just use the images so if you go the image route you cannot use the state and if you go the state route if you go the state route i think you still can use the images but if you go the image route um then most of the work is just figuring out how you can tell where the puck is and where the goals are. Hmm. Um, and then once you know that, you can actually write your own hand controller to be like, if the puck's over here and the goal's over here, then s steer this way so you're closer to the puck. Then once you hmm. have the puck, then you know steer towards the goal. So you can write that out by hand, and that's probably the best way to do that. Um, so most of the work is on the image side. On the state side, you already know where the puck and the goals are, and so they're not allowing you to write hand-like uh, you know, rules. You have to write a deep learning algorithm to do it. And it's probably going to be reinforcement learning based. Um, there's a few other ways, but that's exactly what DeepMind used was reinforcement learning. And that's basically, uh, yeah, play it a thousand times and, you know, you get re rewards for your actions. If you score a goal, for example, or if you win the match, you get rewards for all your actions. Otherwise, you get penalized for all your actions and then, you know, iterate the AI and play it again. Um, luckily, they have their... So DeepMind was... So the original DeepMind wasn't Bootstrap, but the new DeepMind is Bootstrap, meaning... It, it knows nothing about the game. It doesn't play against anyone. It plays against itself. Um, luckily, though, that's really hard, though. And luckily, there's a simple AI that can play against you. And so you don't have to bootstrap from nothing. You can mm. play against this AI first. Uh, eventually, hopefully, you'll get better than the AI, and then you can play against yourself. But at the beginning, there is there is a simple AI. So I haven't decided which one I'm doing yet. Right now, I'm trying to understand the whole problem space and then collect the data. Um, you have to label all the data yourself. And so trying to just figure out how to collect all the data from the thing is is tricky enough right now um so that's what i'm doing let me see if i understand there's there's two different challenges you could take to doing this final the first is an image-based approach which is you're giving uh image of the state of the board and the hard problem there it sounds like it's just recognizing where the puck is where the positions of the players are and then you're just trying to do a very basic you know, once you have that positional data, that's the hard part, then actually playing the game is straightforward because you just say, okay, well, wherever you are, move to where the puck is and angle your uh, hockey stick so that it's uh, orthogonal to the vector between the puck and the goal. Uh, and then the second challenge would be uh, you're given just JSON data of the state of the game, and now there's actual strategy involved and you need to be outsmarting this AI player from the other side. Is that right so far? Uh, y yeah, so in the in the first part, you can or you don't have to hand code your controller, which is the turn towards turn the puck towards the goal. In the second part, you have to use a deep learning approach. So yeah, it's there's exactly right. You get a JSON state of JSON blob basically of the state at every time step, and then your deep learning algorithm does the figuring out how it's going to maneuver in order to get the puck towards the goal. Yeah. Cool. The first one sounds trivially easy, and the second one sounds really hard. Uh, so no, <laughs> um, the image one, it's not like a top down view or anything. It is the view from the cart. 
So it's like imagine a camera in the cart, right? Oh, interesting. So you're and making so, like a self-driving car. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so you have to figure out first how to find the puck, which is hard. So you got to like drive yeah. in circles to see it and then you drive towards it, right? And then and then tuning the controller is super tricky too because like if it was just you, just one cart and one puck, maybe it'd be kind of easy. But you have two carts on your team, two carts on the mm -hmm. other team trying to get it away from you. And so there's going to be lots and lots and lots of edge cases. Um, so yeah, the, the first one sounds as hard as the second one to me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the first one is you're making a self-driving car digitally. Uh, have fun. Interesting. I, so the, the for the second one of your, it, it's much more strategy based. It's like you're playing Go or chess or something. Um, you would use DeepMind, which is a bootstrapped reinforcement learning algorithm. And that's just something you can download and use. Uh, no, no. So you make your own. DeepMind is okay. the um, the name of the thing that they made to make to to play Go. So okay. um, that's an that's a that's an instantiation of a reinforcement learning yeah. algorithm. Yeah. So for solving problem number two, you would just make your own reinforcement learning algorithm. Yep. Um, okay. Is that is that just like they didn't cover that in my book about uh, <laughs> TensorFlow? Is that just like a thing you can do you do like for like if i wanted to make you know a, a tetris bot that played tetris well that's not a good example because that's not reinforcement if i wanted to make like a like a checkers bot uh that was better at checkers is that is that a thing that's trivial to do now that i can just set up two of these bots and set up a reinforcement learning thing in tensorflow and i would just solve checkers uh so sort of um it, it's not trivial i would say still but and you can do it with tetris it doesn't have to be two players against each other so like for the tetris example your thing would be here's the game state um you get points and you know if your points go up then what you did was probably good and if you if you lose the game then what you did was probably bad okay. and then you iterate lots and lots of times um at the core of it it's really just deep learning it's like there's one supervised network and so the input is the game state and the output is what action should i take and yeah. your action is just in this case it's like uh turn accelerate break um there's a couple others others but like how much do i turn how much do i accelerate how much do i break um and the tricky part is how do you train it so hmm. like you get a you get a reward so you might do a thousand actions and then get a goal and you have to say all those thousand actions were somehow good towards this goal in some way and there's lots of ways to figure out how to break those up right and give hmm. rewards for those actions and then if you lose you have to say all those actions were not great um and so it is not, I would say, not trivial, but it, it's also, there are resources to, to do it. How amazing that that's just a thing you can do now. That's just just a final for a class. You're just going to make a make a hockey-playing robot. Because, yeah, how how difficult is that? To, if you're not programming in procedural heuristics of, like, you know, here's where the puck is, and you're trying to go to the puck, and then once you get to the puck, you're trying to go in the goal. If, if you're just giving it these set of states about the game and the only feedback it has is when it scores a goal and it's supposed to intuit something about the past of like something i did was good let me try to figure that out that's amazing how that's so complicated it's like it's like training an animal it's you know it, this it, it's this is such a different programming technique from what i'm used to um how cool okay so Reinforcement learning is what you would use to to 
solve the second problem. And then for the for the first problem, that sounds even it's, it's much more difficult than I thought originally, but that still sounds pretty straightforward. If you're just gonna set up like a image recognition, like you're gonna take a whole bunch of different, uh, I, I don't know, do you, do you train those by hand and like click on where the you see the puck is and then it tries to guess where the puck is based on your sample data? So you can do that, um, but I think, so in training, you can use both images and state for either one. And so okay. I think the, the key might be use the image Mm -hmm. uh, you have the state information, including the camera information. And so you should be able to, I think, calculate from your, from your camera where the puck is. Mm. And so you should be able to automatically, um, like, uh, create your training set that way. So you can That's say, true. yeah. So like, here's my camera information. If the puck is in here, then I figure that out. I figure out where it is and then, um, then train on that. Okay. Um, that should just be geometry, I think, <laughs> to figure that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the JSON state that you're getting to the board, I imagine, is just like a two-dimensional x y. Like you are at this position, and the puck is at this position. So I think for training, you would say, uh, if if you should be able to see the puck, so if if you know your camera is pointed in the direction of where the puck is, the 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 computer should be able to tell me the x y position of the puck within some margin of error, and it should be able to tell me where I am based on the image data of how I'm looking at the field. Does that sound about right? Yep. Um, although it is a little more complicated than that because it's like Mario Kart or like Rocket League or something in that if you hit another player, you can fly up into the air. Oh. And so it's three dimensions, actually. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And there's like power-ups and stuff, which I'm probably going to ignore at first. Yeah, yeah. That seems very complicated. Um, but there are power-ups and bombs. Um, yeah. How complicated. <laughs> I'm reminded of... a. Uh, a, a rabbit hole I fell down this last week. There's, <laughs> have you played uh, one of these cookie clicker style games like uh, Ultimate Paperclips? Yeah. Or yep. so engaging to me. There's something about those games that just traps my brain of like, oh, it's numbers I can optimize. Yep. <laughs> but you know, Sarah will come over and look at my computer, and be like, "What are you doing?" You're like, <laughs> "You've been staring at this list of numbers for like an hour. What's? <laughs> How is this engaging to you?" But there's, oh, there's something about it that that just gets me uh so there's a there's a new game in this genre that i discovered called uh kittens or something something about kittens and like you have a bunch of kittens and they need to eat catnip and have, if you have enough catnip you can turn it into wood and if you have enough wood you can make a hut and then with a hut you can have more kittens and it just explodes in complexity from there um and so <laughs> in playing this 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 game in this genre is especially engaging to me because it's going really slowly. It's not. It's not exponentially increasing like Ultimate Paperclips was. So, I'm able to sit in certain problems for a long enough time to optimize them with software. And it's written in React, and it's just a web app. So, uh, I, I just did some very basic like optimization of how to allocate my worker kittens based on how many resources I have, and even just like doing this procedurally of with with some pretty simple logic of like. You know, I'm I'm using resources at a certain rate, and I don't want to be over allocating the number of workers. So, like, if if I have enough catnip to sustain my colony right now, uh, I want to I want to try to take off workers from the harvesting catnip job uh, until I'm like just barely breaking even with that, and then I want to choose how to reallocate them. Of like, do I send some cats into the forest to harvest wood? Well, no, because my wood is between seventy five and ninety five percent, so I don't want to do that. And I was able to come up with a, a pretty 
simple thing just to be optimizing the resources. But it got me thinking, like, I would love to be able to, because it, it's, it's all just buttons. And the, the only input that I'm giving it right now is now that I have this thing that's optimizing, like, where my cats are going to be working. The only input I'm doing is going and seeing, like, okay, well, what upgrades make the most sense right now? And I'm just sort of randomly clicking on things that uh, I can afford right now. But I'd love to get comfortable enough with AI to be able to have – I want to be able to, like, just take a, take a, a DeepMind-type reinforcement learning algorithm <laughs> and say, like, go. <laughs> Figure out the buttons to click, and uh, I, I want to – go to sleep and wake up and have it like beaten the game because it, it's just looking at the one number uh that i'm scoring is that how <laughs> based on your knowledge of reinforcement learning how um, difficult so would that be for reinforcement learning is to have lots of repetitions in and so a game like um, so this class of games is called idle games by the way if you want to find a whole bunch of them and the problem with those is they go on forever or or it sounds like this one ends but um most they go on for a really long time and there's lots and lots of actions and so you can't just take a regular approach. So you can't just say when you win, you get a bunch of points. Um, it has to be something like when you get more money and then, yeah, you could play it, but you really need, you need a controlled simulation so that you can run this, you know, like run the game a million times. So if you're able to get that, then yeah. sure, you could do it. Yeah. If you just have a state of the world and then actions you can take and then your reward is money or whatever. Um, and you could do that. Yeah. My guess though is for a lot of these games, um, it's actually like, you don't need AI at all. It's actually just a, um, it's just conventional algorithm would figure it out. Um, you just run through all your actions. There's probably not that many of them. Just yeah, figure yeah. out what's optimal for that for that time based on some heuristics, and then and then run it that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's for for this game in particular. I think I, I think the best thing might just be you know, okay, optimize your your workforce, and then once you're full on resources, buy the most expensive thing you can as an upgrade and then keep buying the most expensive things you can until well maybe i want to buy the cheapest things actually because the more things i buy of a thing the more it increases like you know my, my 10th hut costs 10 times more than my first hut so maybe i just look at all the things i can buy sort those by the cheapest price and then start buying the cheapest thing and go up to the most expensive thing and then that'll eventually balance out so that things are about the same price and i'll eventually buy everything which i think is going to be the the goal of the game okay yeah, I'll just do that. That makes sense. You can also, uh, like Cookie Clicker, I don't know about this kitten one, but for Cookie Clicker, you can also uh, cheat using the JavaScript console. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's less. <laughs> it's just it's just the number. It just stores the, right. the number of cookies. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. less one. <laughs> At one point, I was playing, playing Cookie Clicker, and I, I somehow convinced myself that it would be cheating if I went to the JavaScript console, but not cheating if I wrote a RubyBot to click my mouse. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I use that. Uh, that's so funny. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> There's a achievement I unlocked in this kitten's game because I just set, uh, you know, the, there's the button that you can click to, to harvest catnip manually. Uh, and so I just did like a, you know, document.query selector for <laughs> yeah. the, the button uh, and put that in a, a set interval, like doing it once every 100 milliseconds or something. And after that running for a minute, I saw that I had unlocked an achievement that's like, you know, <laughs> cheated your way to the end of the game. Yeah. I was like, ah, calm down. <laughs> yes, I did, but... Cook, cookie uh, clicker has the same detection yeah i love it <laughs> they uh they know their audience well um in the intro to coding course that i ran uh over the summer for uh, the summers ago not not during covid um when i was teaching intro to programming of 
HTML and JavaScript. That was one of my examples of like, hey, here's a cool thing you can do now that you know this basic HTML and JavaScript. You can program a bot to automatically click this button and you can cheat at these games now. Think of how much time you'll save uh, <laughs> from these idle games. Um, cool. So that was all about the uh, uh, final for your class. I'm so envious. That sounds like so much fun. Tell me about the Kaggle competition that you entered. What's what's the deal with that? Yeah, so I was purposely avoiding Kaggle because um, until my labs were over because they're taking up a lot of my time. But I sort of got sucked yeah. into this one. Someone on Twitter was talking about it, and so I went and looked at it. Um, and it it is a deceivingly simple problem, but it is it, it's an MP hard problem. So it's you know computationally intractable to like actually solve. Um, but it seems like you sh should be able to. And so uh, I got sucked in, and I started I started messing around with it. Um, it's framed as a, like a holiday problem. So there's like, it's like there's movies and uh, emojis and stuff. But the basic problem is something called super permutations. So the idea is, so say you have the numbers uh, one, two, three, then all the permutations are like one, two, three, one, three, two, two, three, one, and on there's like six of them, right? A super mm -hmm. permutation is a string which contains all six of those. So the naive way is you just say one, two, three, then one, th one three, two, that, you know, string them all together mm -hmm. and you have six times three or whatever your length. But there's lots of smarter ways to do it. So if you have one, two, three, one, then that's the permutations one, two, three, and two, three, one. And yeah, you save yeah. Four characters. So the sur oh, that's tricky. Yeah. So the super permutation problem is, what's the shortest string you can get? Um, that's known for one, two, three, four, five. It's thought to be known for six, and for seven, they're pretty sure they have it for seven. Um, and so wow, that's a, a surprisingly small yeah. <laughs> number that, yeah, it's, yeah. that it's known for. Yes. Interesting. Um, so they, they chose seven characters, and so that super permutation is mostly known, um, but they made it more complex because instead of just one permutation, you have to split it into three. So there's like three different tracks, and then your score is just the longest, like the max of those three. Um, and then every one has to, so any permutation that starts with one, two has to be in each of the three. Um, and then you get two wild cards uh, per per thing which can be any character interesting um and so those two like twists uh or those three twists make it enough that it's an undone problem and yeah mm. um so far like the top four teams all have the same score so people are like did they just find the optimal solution um <laughs> which may have been maybe the case uh but yeah i i didn't really expect to, to learn so much doing it because it seems like a, a pure math sort of play but um, I already wrote my own CUDA kernel <laughs> to do it. And so I used some parallel system stuff. And then I wrote a PyTorch thing um, to do some deep learning on, uh, like not deep learning, sorry, uh, uh, stochastic gradient descent optimization on one of the things that I, I was using. So yeah, I've already I've already learned some, some stuff from something that, yeah, is neat. What a, what a fun problem. How, I'm trying to think of what my approach to this would be. And I'm like, you could brute force it. You could just come up with, every possible combination of string and then try to combine those in novel ways. But I, if, if we're limited right now to the number seven, uh, it's like where we, this starts getting hazy. I imagine this problem just explodes in complexity and brute force yeah. is not an option. Yeah. So there are 5,040 permutations of seven and you need okay. every one of those in a string. And so there's 5,040 factorial ways to do that. Oh, geez. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, it's impossible. Okay. Okay, what are you? How are you doing this then? Can you can you talk about it? Is so, that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, so I can talk about the things that are on the discussion board. Yeah. Um, there's two general approaches. One is there are solvers which 
commercial and open source solvers that use constraints and then try to solve the problem for you. Mm. And so you say your constraints are here's all my inputs, here's like the length between them. Basically, I'm trying to solve for the shortest string, right? And if you formulate that in the right way, there are pre-existing solvers that'll try to do that. Um, so that's one approach. The other approach is you can treat this like a traveling salesman problem, which confused me at first, but here's how it is. So say you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then you're trying to get the permutation um, two, three, uh, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, and you're trying to match those up. Those have a distance of one because if you just add a one onto one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, then you get both permutations. Yeah. Okay. So you have one character to get both. But say you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and one, two, three, four, five, seven, six. Those have a distance of seven because there's no way like you can stick one onto the end of the other and overlap them in any way. Mm, okay. And so it's it's pretty easy. You just go through uh, 5,040 times 5,040, and you figure out the distance, the like the character distance between all of yeah. them. And now what you have is a graph essentially of going from one permutation to another and the distance it would take, yep. like the, the distance it would add. And then you have a traveling salesman problem with 5,000 cities. Um, and there are that which is also impossible which is impossible to solve but there are ways to try to figure you know reduce that yes, yes. so yep okay interesting yeah i can i can see that that would be a traveling salesman problem because you now you're looking at a graph where every permutation is connected and that has a weight and now you're just trying to find the shortest distance between each node in the graph and i imagine every city well how What's are there standard ways to solve the traveling salesman problem? Okay. Yep. There's lots. Yep. Cool. And then for your submission of this, like you just have to send them the string. You don't have to send them yep. how you did it. Okay. Yeah. How fun. Yeah. They. Yeah. They usually they have a code requirement. Like you have to upload your code as well. Yeah. But for this one, since there's a lot of commercial solvers that can do it, um, and you obviously can't open source a commercial solver, they didn't want to limit people to not use those. Okay. And so they said you don't have to upload your source code. Neat. How, uh, would, where are you right now in your solution? What's the, what's the next step? Uh, I was in the top like 10% when there was only 200 people. Oh. Um, but I'm, or no, sorry, top 1% when there was only 200 people. Okay. Um, I've fallen now to the top 10%. Oh. Uh, yeah. Uh, mostly because I don't have time to work on it because of, uh, my labs. Oh. So I have to do my school work first. Yeah. That's, uh, that's very responsible of you. Uh, <laughs> good job, uh, <laughs> doing your labs first. Is there knowing you if i'm modeling you as me uh the, the amount of work dedicated to each of these will depend a lot on when the deadline for each of them is is uh is the deadline for the holiday problem after your labs are done it is yeah it's actually january 11th and so okay. there's quite a bit of time the problem though is that since so many people are doing so well usually these optimization problems are solved relatively early on mm. and so the final order is like whoever solves it first because uh, okay. whoever solves it first gets first place yeah, yeah. so there's already four people with one score and so if that's optimal then people are just going to keep hitting that score yeah, yeah. um so yeah it'd be better if i could work on it earlier but i, I probably won't because i can't <laughs> after december 6th that's when the final lab is due which is only two weeks away um so i only have two weeks to work on that other lab and uh yeah then i'll have more time okay well you'll you'll have a master's degree at the end of this instead of uh <laughs> position uh, number four in a holiday competition for yeah uh that, yep. that makes sense I would like your take on a few things. Um, where do I want to start? I'll start here. I reinstalled YouTube. And it made me feel great. <laughs> and I don't know how to feel about this. I feel kind of like an addict, like going back to cigarettes. And I had 
one of the most productive days I can remember in a long time yesterday uh, that came up on the heels of this. Of just I was jamming. Um, I fell back to my my usual routine of like, okay, I wake up and I go for a walk and uh, think about ideas. And I realized a lot of a lot of my ideas sort of percolate from these seeds of things that I'm seeing on YouTube. Of like, it's it's this very divergent creative wellspring of interesting things happening in the world and it it gets me thinking about new angles on things and i'll you know i'll take something from a mark rober video and be like oh actually if i took the concept behind what i did and applied it to this other thing that that solves this puzzle that i've been uh chewing on for a while and so the original reason i uninstalled youtube was like i felt like i was spending too much time on it and i think i overcorrected, and i think I felt the negative effects of that as like this depression of now I'm not getting this regular source of dopamine that I was getting before and I don't really have anything to replace it with. And then secondarily, my my creative juices weren't flowing quite as much because I, I wasn't exposed to this. Like the, the, there's an energy of like <laughs> when I'm watching people making videos about cool stuff they've done, I feel inspired to do cool stuff. And I think, I don't know, what's, on, on the one hand, I feel like an addict and like, I can't quit this thing because when I tried to, I got depressed and couldn't do my work. And on the other, like, it seems kind of reasonable that this is a thing that I can spend breaks doing. Uh, <laughs> putting putting your boss hat on, like, what what should I do? Yeah. Yeah. So I think you talked about it, like, like smoking. I I think cigarettes aren't the best analogy here because like those are bad always like everyone should stop smoking mm. i think it's a little more like food which is like uh there are good foods and not so good foods and if you eat the good foods you feel great and if you eat the not so good foods then you want to take a nap mm. <laughs> and um so you you just need to yeah that's that, that's why i didn't when you were uninstalling it from your phone i didn't know that you were stop watching it altogether and like I would I would suggest you find better ways to watch the videos that you know energize you, mm. and and try to avoid the ones that don't. Um, and we talked about this before. The way I do that is using my history to you know very carefully prune what I want to see. Yeah. Um, and so just being cognizant, you know, like being very aware of if a video energizes you or not, I think is is the way to do that. I don't have any easy ways to do that. I think it's, it might be really difficult. That's why people find diets difficult because mm. you have to eat food. It's just you have to want to eat the good stuff, not the bad mm. stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. Does that resonate at all? I like changing the analogy to food. That makes a lot more sense for me. Because food, you can also, like, overeat. Uh, yeah. if, if you're turning to food when you're feeling anxious, like, that's bad. But you do need to eat. And in the same way, I'm a human consciousness that needs a source of new information coming into my life. And in the same way that I need food. And so if I can just be making healthy choices about what that information is, uh, choose the healthier information, subscribe to the, the healthier channels, and when junk information pops up, be vigilant about uh, telling YouTube that I'm not interested in another Family Guy clip, even though I'm so interested. I Oh, I just I could watch so many of those. That's right. But no. Family Guy is like food. the it's like the, you know, it's like the chips of YouTube, right? Yeah. Like, you can, you can just eat another one and another one another one. But at the end, you will not feel good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want YouTube healthy mode. Like, <laughs> of like, don't show me any videos that are shorter than a minute long. Because that's just clickbait. It's like, <laughs> right. it's, 
appealing to the lowest common denominator of my brain cells uh and prioritize educational content uh and don't show me anything coming from a content farm uh and that might solve it and like that's that's a layer on youtube that i feel like i could install hmm okay yeah they have that's inter they have youtube kids they need a uh, yeah youtube healthy mode or something <laughs> yeah. um there do exist uh so sites that are you know usually they're pay for but like skillshare or brilliant.org yeah, yeah. or s sites like that where you can watch videos that are probably going to be more um it'd be better for you than youtube uh you try one of those that's a really good idea yeah because things like skillshare there's a there's a course on uh learning solidity that i mentioned a, a couple weeks ago that i haven't done that like if if the next lesson of that course were presented to me on youtube as an option of like okay you're, you're here on youtube looking for something cool and divergent as one of your eight suggestions here's the next lesson in this course and then here's this fun thing of you know mark rover <laughs> making the world's biggest elephant toothpaste uh thing to to get you excited about engineering so but but that's not you know a family guy clip both of those are still healthy things i like that i like the analogy to youtube kids also because my understanding of the way that that works is when you upload a video there's a there's a uh, toggle to say if this is made mm -hmm. for kids or not and only things that are made for kids can be included on youtube kids and i am so amused by the concept of <laughs> a toggle when you upload a video that's like is this a healthy video to be watching? <laughs> or, <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> I would like to think all of the things I've uploaded would uh, qualify for that, but I, I'd, be, I'd be questioning my life choices if I started uploading videos that I couldn't, in good in uh, good conscience, check that checkbox on. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah. It, it's it's sort of like I'm reminded of stumble upon, but what if there was a stumble upon before you know only only things that are good for you mm. so that's sort of what you describe like here's the next video or you can you know watch a little bit of smart rover thing but it doesn't show you you know what was one of your examples people fighting over a million dollars yeah yeah so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. engaging so so entertaining uh and i sort of justified that to myself at the time of like okay this is one of the world's most popular youtubers this is really interesting to me that this person is doing these outlandish things and like playing the youtube game better than anyone else how is he doing this um but I didn't need to watch as many of his videos as I did. Uh, and I learned a lot more from watching like a podcast interview with him talking about what yeah. his higher level strategy is. Mr. Beast, by the way, ridiculous dude. He just takes all of his money and rolls it into the next video. And he's been doing that for years. And now every video he spends like tens of millions of dollars and does outrageous things like just buys everything in GameStop. Um, nuts. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's so interesting and that hearing about his formula of he, he the the metric that he's just focused on above anything else is retention, looking at how can I keep people watching this video? And so he's unlocked these formulas of, you know, okay, after after ten seconds of watching the video, they've gotta be surprised by a new novel thing that's gonna keep him engaged. So he'll have the title of his video be something like, I get chased by the FBI and it has this ridiculous thumbnail of him getting chased by the fbi you're like whoa i'll watch that and you start watching 10 seconds of it and within the first 10 seconds there's like three new concepts introduced that mm -hmm. are going to keep you hooked of like you know 
I'm getting chased by the FBI. Confirmation that you clicked on the right thing. But what the FBI doesn't know is that I have a helicopter. And you're like, what? He has a helicopter? Interesting. And I have this briefcase full of a million dollars. And you're like, what? How is that going to work? And so then, like, it's it's as if he's playing your attention span as an instrument of, like, watching his videos is such an interesting experience because as soon as my attention starts to wane just a little bit of, like, okay, you've got the helicopter. You've got the million dollars. I I can see how this is going to go. He introduces, like, and I've got four guys dressed up like me. <laughs> They're going to go and slap the FBI agent with these fake fish. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I got to watch this. Um, and every one of his videos is like that. He's 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 unlocked something primal, I feel like, in how human attention works. It's It's really, really interesting. Yeah, there's only a few people on YouTube, I think, who do it quite like he does which is why he has so many so many views um it's also why i don't watch his stuff because i know like (laughs) same thing some primal thing would click on and i wouldn't be able to stop so yeah i actively avoid basically most popular channels for that reason uh i what what else did i want to talk about i oh there's some cool projects i just want to talk about a little bit uh i did the uh kittens automatic game thing I'm, i'm kind of proud about that uh i've set up this new macbook now and doing things from scratch feels really good. I'm able to like clear out the cruft of stuff that I wasn't using, and I'm I'm able to track down these bugs that were kind of annoying, but not annoying enough for me to actually dig into them. Like I noticed something in my system when I dragged a window to one of the edges of the screen. It was doing this weird feature where it was maximizing windows. And one of the things in setting up this new laptop is that I was able to figure out, oh, that's coming from Better Touch Tool, and that's a checkbox in Better Touch Tool. And if I disable that now it's not there anymore and so like oh my gosh my laptop right now is just the cleanest it's got only the things i need and it's got nothing i don't and i'm I'm really happy with that um i had a super productive day yesterday i mentioned that from uh partially i think it came from reinstalling youtube and like having that uh (laughs) that that stream of dopamine turned back on um but one of the small things i did in that is one of my uh administrative tasks i need to do every month is to rebalance my finances and and keep track of like for my different bank accounts how much money is in each one and uh that involves i I just do it manually i don't use anything like mint so i copy the number uh in each of the accounts and paste it in and on vanguard i have like four different accounts there's like an ira and a roth ira and a sep ira and then a regular brokerage account and so i was having to like copy each one of those numbers and put it in a spreadsheet so i uh in this new productivity mode i was like wait a minute i can fix this i'm a developer uh so i went in and highlighted all of those in the in the console figured out what the query selector was for each one and then inserted a text document in that page so that now instead of highlighting four numbers and pasting them one at a time i copy this output in a text box that i automatically insert in the page and paste it in the spreadsheet and it fills in all four numbers at once and i felt really cool about that uh and then the last thing that i would love an attaboy on is I helped my friend Trig with his magic robot that I think I think we talked about that. Did we talk about that? Yep. He's on a cruise ship right now. Problem with cruise ships is the way we had it done before, it was going through Ngrok and through the internet, which made sense for a virtual show. But on the cruise ship, he's not allowed to have volunteers on the stage. So he was like, oh, this would be perfect if we could get this to work. But a cruise ship has really slow satel- satellite internet. Mm-hmm. And so when we were prototyping it, of like seeing it, does, does the old solution work uh, like the one before no it doesn't there's this huge lag and it's it's really bad but then i thought like and i'm i'm, I'm doing this remotely like i'm talking to him through cruise ship internet just like on a text uh a, a yeah. text messaging uh service and i thought hold on 
I bet you can access computers on the local network of the cruise ship. And so I did mm. some last minute finagling of like, okay, instead of talking to uh, this, this NGROC uh, uh, domain name, what if they're, what if the person's phone is accessing a website stored on your computer and then it's using an API directly on your computer through the local network. And it totally worked. And I just felt like a wizard of like, I, I'm helping a magician to do a magic show on a cruise ship and like making a magic robot work. And that just, it felt so cool. Uh, so those are, those are my cool things I did this last week that I, I just want to hear you say that. Yes, Christian, those are really cool. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty funny. Uh, the, the, I also love that NGROC, like, uh, if they went down, then a magic ship on a cruise ship wouldn't work. <laughs> or, you know, it's like, uh, that, that's a super interesting, like, case study. Um, yeah, no, it sounds like you had a productive week. I, I also love, at, at the beginning, you talked about uh, the kitten game and your new MacBook. I love that all of the pinnacle of human achievement is going to play the kitten uh, idle game. <laughs> Why did they upgrade to the M1 Max? <laughs> that's right. The, the so Apple montage of, like, look at this person doing these crazy <laughs> visualizations, and then there's me using less than 1% of my CPU to run this javascript function once every five seconds uh yeah, yeah. uh but yeah i mean it, it sounds like you had a, a good week so that was good um and that you i think more importantly like you were aware of your feelings when you reinstalled youtube and like aware of you know how things energize you or not um, i think that more and more like i think that's super important with being productive is just being aware of how things make you feel you know? this is a meta problem that i feel like i still haven't solved for myself and i'd, I'd be curious how you're framing this problem i when when my, the last therapy session session I had about a week ago, uh, I was telling my therapist about this kind of work funk that I've been feeling for the last few weeks. And he started asking me these detailed questions of like, oh, well, when did you start? And what, what was going on around that time? And, you know, exactly how were you feeling? And when did you feel much better? And, uh, you know, what what helped you uh, feel better? And in hearing him ask the questions, I was like, well, of course. What, what obvious questions? <laughs> That's how you figure out what an abstract problem is. You try to narrow it down and figure out what caused it and figure out uh, what made it better. And I found myself really wanting to be able to answer his questions rigorously of like, here is my numerical score of how I felt on each day correlated with the date. And look, see here, you can see a drop over here and you can see a bump over here. And here's the list of activities that I did during those days. And oh, of course, when I go for a walk in this route, <laughs> as I did on this day, that makes me feel sad. And when I watch youtube and go for a walk on this other route that makes me feel happy so i should do more of that thing and less of this other thing uh and i don't know what that would look like i had a, a mood tracker on my phone for a little while but i stopped using that because i didn't quite like how the data was happening and the, solving this problem feels like something that i would like to do in my time tracker or maybe i just give every day a thumbs up or a thumbs down um is this a problem that you've thought about or do, do you have insight into what what a rigorous solution to mood tracking and this type of correlation would look like so sort of uh, first of all i'll say this is why therapy is is useful because yes you could have asked yourself those questions but uh, a therapist will ask those questions yeah. whereas you can just forget right it's the same reason coaches work like health coaches or diet coaches or whatever like you could do the things but you know paying and going to someone who's going to actually make you do the things is very useful um in terms of like tracking it i the thing i kept thinking of was like sometimes like something will make me like like just sort of set me off right and like and like i'm just done after that but uh usually it's because of a very small buildup of things either over a week or a month or something and it's like you know when my kid drops their cheerios all over the floor like that shouldn't 
you know, make me like super angry, but it does because of the 18 things that had happened that day, you know, up to that point. So if I was just thinking about what happened right around the time where you're not feeling great, then you may miss all like the buildup and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how to solve that problem. Um, and I agree the same thing. Like there are apps where you could just like track your mood every day or track like, you know, what you did and how it made you feel. Um, but that's, it's not as a holistic picture as I think maybe you need, um, Mm -hmm. which is probably why therapy is good. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Similar to how for your final, you have an option of going based on the, the screenshot of the game or a JSON output of what's actually going on underneath. I would love to be able to solve this problem with just the JSON dump of my body. Yeah. <laughs> like, This is how much dopamine is in my blood. <laughs> like, this is how sad I feel. And this is how productive I feel. Um, and these are, you know, the foods currently being digested in my stomach. And uh, that's that feels like the sort of thing that you could just throw any algorithm onto and be able to figure out like, oh, you know, you can't eat bell peppers because it's, it's bell peppers. So the thing, but specifically if they're cooked in this way, yep. because that makes this compound like that's the, the level of problem that I'd love to have a handle on being able to solve. But uh, until then, I guess I'm just going to integrate mood tracking into my time tracker. Cause mm. you, you mentioned like that, that might lead me to thinking more about the immediate things right around it. But the time tracker does give me context of like what I was doing for the last few days. And I feel like, I feel like I could start seeing higher level patterns with that. And I might just start with a I don't know. Maybe I rate each day a scale of zero to five of just like how I felt and see if I can notice any trends from there and we'll, we'll iterate from there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, once you talked about, by the way, as a sort of tangent, the health tracking or, or like the, what you feel when you do certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's sort of an underexplored area of, of future development. Um, it's been talked about a few times on like by, by some well-known people, but like, for example, insulin pumps, right? Um, automatic insulin pumps, for diabetics can measure the insulin and then dose it dose the insulin appropriately um, for type 1 diabetics um, they're approved in Europe and not in the US for a variety of reasons but anyway we should have that for like all of our things so like you know yeah. hopefully without a needle in me but I should know like my cholesterol levels and my you know whatever my you know for all the things all the time and then once you pair that with some type of glasses which you know are coming which are going to record what you do like all the time yeah. um, which is very freaky but probably in 100 years that'll be the way it is yep. Then uh, it'll record and watch everything you do with AI and say, you know, yeah, when you when you eat peppers on your plate that look like they've been cooked in oil, your insulin spikes. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, so that's sort of an interesting step in that direction. I'm so excited for the future. Yeah, that's absolutely going to happen. We're going to have insulin pumps, but for vitamins and omega-3 and <laughs> everything else. Uh, maybe, maybe it slurps out bad cholesterol and pumps in good cholesterol. That's actually... Uh, I've, I've been fascinated with the Elizabeth Holmes trial going on right now. Mm, and yeah. uh, for listeners who don't know, Elizabeth Holmes, founder of Theranos, this company that proposed to have built a device. I think I used the proposed the word proposed correctly there. That could take a single drop of blood and run a whole suite of thousands of blood tests on them. Revolutionary device, if it would have worked and it, her prototypes of it fit on a countertop and she started giving up blood tests. Uh, only one problem to this uh, youngest self-made billionaire, uh, female billionaire, uh, which is that it didn't work. <laughs> and so that's, uh, that sure is fraud. And she's now being, uh, going on a trial to do that. But her 
so as part of being fascinated with this trial, I've been hearing stories about her and like how she got her start at Stanford and the different stories of professors who were like, ah, I knew from the beginning that she was a fraud. And like, no, you didn't. <laughs> uh, but her, uh, one of her very first ideas for a company she wanted to make was something like this that was a, a, a patch for antibiotics that could mm. detect when you needed antibiotics if there was some sort of an infection in your blood and then if there was it could inject antibiotics great idea um and has a that specific idea has a technical uh limit of antibiotics aren't potent so you couldn't store enough antibiotics to actually do anything meaningful in a patch it would need to be something like an insulin pump but like i would love to see that if you could just take every drug i would potentially need and stick it in a box and i wear that box on my hip and it plug it into my body like yeah absolutely that sounds great give me all my vitamins give me all my omega-3s put some antibiotics in there uh give me some probiotics too and i guess <laughs> feed that into my gut uh yeah the, I, I would i feel like a, a real cyborg it'd be it'd be great yeah. so, so that i agree the only problem with that though is uh it usually based on the history of how these types of things work uh, the first uh, many iterations of it will probably kill its patients in some unique way. Yep. <laughs> so, I'll take version 10, please. That sounds good. <laughs> Same. Uh, I'd, yeah. I'd go with version 9. I'd, uh, yeah. I'm an early adopter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Also, side note about Elizabeth Holmes. Uh, or, yeah, that's her name. Right? Yeah. Um, I just found out that she's the daughter of a vice president of Enron. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Fraud runs in the family, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I found that out this week. That's crazy. Huh. Yeah. huh. Interesting. That's especially interesting because in, in interviews with people who invested in her, they said something like, you know, oh, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to invest in her until I found out that one of her relatives was a famous businessman and another one of her relatives uh, was a doctor or something. So she had both things she needed of medicine and, and uh, uh, entrepreneurship. I didn't know the business person was in Enron. That's, <laughs> that seems like a red flag. Uh, side note on Elizabeth Holmes. It's so interesting to me that she like played this game so well of targeting unsophisticated investors for the type of thing they were investing in. Like She intentionally mm -hmm. sought out people who didn't know anything about uh, medicine or, or biotech stuff for her board and uh, everyone involved in the company and kept everyone very siloed so that she could be the one in charge uh it's like a recipe for how you can like get away with stuff like this and the amount of money she was able to raise is nuts it's hundreds of millions of dollars from people with nothing she she made it up it had a thing that i think at its max it could do like four blood tests and this was after you know years she was running this company for something like seven or ten years with the the brightest people she could hire at whatever salary they wanted and she had nothing at the end of it it was it was made up Ah, and if, if she had just been more honest about what her actual limitations were and like sought people out that could actually help her instead of people she felt like she could trick, this might have actually turned into a useful thing for humanity that could be a, a actual viable competitor to like Quest Diagnostics or something. And okay, maybe the technical feasibility of the Edison device, the, the technology wasn't quite there, but like she still could have done so much good if she hadn't tried to pretend like she was something she wasn't. So it's a very interesting case to me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a case where the, the idea was super good and like instead of being tabletop maybe it has to be the size of a refrigerator yeah. and instead of a drop of blood maybe it's 10 drops of blood yeah. and instead of 100 tests maybe it's 25 tests yeah. right but that's still a huge improvement yeah. over you know waiting three days for your lab results um yeah it's too bad 
I don't want to do that. I want to make things that actually help people. Um, which is a very good transition, actually. That happened sort of on accident. Uh, I think the way to do that is, first of all, to be honest in the things that you're making. Second, to deploy some freaking empathy and talk to people. <laughs> uh, I've, I've, the, my main takeaway from this book has been, like, it's kind of selfish of me to be making things just for me. That, And that, that makes me very disconnected with people who I'm trying to help. I, I feel like my default mode of making stuff is, like, identify a problem that I have for myself and then try to solve that for myself. And I feel like I could be so much more effective and be helping so many more people if I was flexing more of the muscle of regularly talking to people. And I think deploy empathy is just a fantastic toolkit of the, the types of conversations to have with people. And they even have some suggestions of how to, how to install some automated habits of uh, making it so that you have a regular stream of people coming in to talk to you. Um, one of the examples they give is to have a automated email triggered when a customer performs a specific action in your app that says, hey, I noticed you just did this action. Uh, would you be up for a call? Here's a link you can click to schedule a call with me. I just want to ask you about like what you're doing and uh, that, you know, if, if this thing solved your problem. And I think I'd like a little bit of help just thinking through how I can be doing that more. Ideally, I think I want to have that for like, for, for everything that I'm working on, I'd like to connect that with I'm having regular conversations with people who have this problem. So like for my time tracker, I'd, I'd love to have a stream of people coming in with me doing no work. It's it's like automated systems where they just pop up on, a, on my calendar and it, it's a conversation set up with someone who is thinking about time tracking or, or has a problem specific to time tracking. And then I can be having these deploy empathy conversations with them just going off of the script. What are your thoughts on that? How, how might I have more of those conversations automatically without doing work to be setting them up? Yeah, so I'll ask kind of a cheeky question, which is, have you hired your VA yet? No! Ah! <laughs> no, I haven't. I think that's the answer. Okay, um, I agree. Yeah, if you don't want to do work, then you hire someone That's to an do obvious, work. that's, yeah, that's a, yeah, okay, good. Mm-hmm, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I just have a conversation with them of like, of course, yeah. And then I just say, here, here are the six kinds of people I'd like to talk to. Here are these tactics in Deploy Empathy of places to go to get them. Here's my system of how to schedule stuff with me. Like, let's let's work on sending a template email to them that we can just copy the templates in Deploy Empathy. Ah, oh, Chris, you're too good. You're too good. You stop it. It's, it's easy when you're not yourself to give yourself <laughs> advice. How did I not yeah. see that? No, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah, okay. And then as, as a cherry on top, I can be integrating more of these systems like within file inbox i think it would make sense but that's really the only product that i could be that, that it feels like i could be doing that in a more automated way um i guess also for email lists of oh here's another one so i have for for like clips.marketing i have a, an email sign up at the bottom for people who are interested in getting on the early access list i think i'm going to change the email that gets sent automatically to them when they sign up to be a deploy empathy invitation to talk to me. Uh, oh, but maybe I want to qualify them first because I don't just want to talk to anyone. I want to I want to talk to people who like are actually interested in this thing. I don't necessarily want to talk to tire kickers. But right now, I don't think I need to optimize for that because right now I'm talking to no one. So I yeah, think I just you don't, 
invite them to a call and I just invite everyone. Okay. You don't have enough people. And even so if a thousand people sign up on your thing, maybe two will call you. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, you don't need to worry about, yeah, just get anyone that you can talk yeah. to. I think. And they'll probably self filter for like, if you're just a tire yeah. kicker and you get an email that's like, Hey, I'm interested in talking with you about your problems around this area. And you're like, Oh, I don't really have any problems. You're not going to sign up for the forum unless you just yep. want to talk to me. But like those conversations are fun too. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. That makes perfect sense. Um, I'm going to change that email and then I'm going to push forward my VA. I don't, I get so frustrated in myself of like these high priority tasks that just sort of like slip away. Just like, ah, I got a little distracted because I went to Europe and la di da. What am I <laughs> thinking about now? Oh, my new car is very cool. And I, oh man, I feel like a little ADD baby. <laughs> I think one of the things with the VAs in particular is in the past you've talked about them doing like tasks that'll help you not necessarily in a business way sort of like ancillary kind of way um but these are two very or three i guess very concrete business things and so you can absolutely justify the price you know even if you do it for just a month right you will um justify the price whereas whereas and and so i think hopefully this time is different and you can actually go through with the experiment yeah cool okay good I'm going to get off this podcast and then push forward my VA. And then I think it's, it's like, it's something stupid, like a contract I need to sign or something. That's the next step. And then I think I just have a VA. Uh, And then I'm going to change the intro email uh, so that it's a invitation to a call. And then I guess I could hit that list also. And Oh, I'll change my Calendly also so that uh, it's, it's not going to schedule a call uh, while I'm traveling for Thanksgiving. And then I'll change that email to be an invitation to a call just from a template from the Deploy Empathy book. Cool. Okay. That sounds good. Thank you. You're, you're a good boss. Cool. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> uh, Chris, that's all I got. That's all I got. Then I'll see you next week. Goodbye.